Welcome to the Picture Books to Gang podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Corey. I'm Kelly, and we are the Picture Books to Gang. We invite you to join us here every other week while we discuss amazing books and issues in children's literature, as well as early literacy, education, and parenting as it relates to reading. We can't wait to dig in deep and get nerdy about picture books with you. Hello, and welcome back to the Picture Books to King podcast. My name is Kelly, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'm here with my two hustler co-hosts. Allie and Coco. Hello, I'm Allie. My pronouns are she, they. Hello, I am Coco, and my pronouns are also she, they. Amazing. So this right here is our biggest episode of the year. I know that in 2021, we have only posted a few episodes, but we actually have some banked. This has been quite a year. I moved across the country. Coco finished building her house and moved in. Uh, there's just been, there's been a panda. It's been a year. So many things have happened. Um, so we have some episodes banked that are going to go up after this episode, but we do need to punctuate 2021 talking about the Books to Gang's best of 2021 list, which just released two days ago on um, Friday, December 3rd. For those of you who are just joining us recently, you may not know that the Books to Gang Best Picture Books of the Year is something that we, the three of us, and several other picture book influencers have been doing for, I guess this is our third year. And this is our second year doing it in a pandemic, which I think we deserve an award frankly. <laughs> Can we give, us our, give ourselves a trophy? I will. Just a tiny plastic one. I don't want a big one. No, I have too much stuff. <laughs> That's true. If it could be made of felt, that would be great. And on that note, this year, we actually have majorly updated our look for the awards. We've brought on our um, books gang friend, Jenna at Kidlit Brain, and she has worked her magic with little tiny paper cutouts to make a little trophy logo for us. And we look more professional than ever, but we should look professional regardless because we read nearly 400 books this year. A lot of our new judges brought a bunch of publishers I had never even heard of. And I am really, really pleased with having heard of them because some of my favorite books are from publishers that just had never been on my radar before. And that is one of my favorite things about doing this event. It's getting all these books that I would never have requested because it's not something that I immediately knew that I was going to like. And I think that's one of the things that that we've talked about and with all of our other judges is that everyone says that that's one of the coolest things about doing this. What happens is publishers submit their best books and they're not necessarily the books that we ourselves would have chosen for our own feeds. So we get to look at all of these things that just were not on our radar at all. And just the surprises that you get, the delightful surprises. (laughs) It's just a wonderful thing. Hey, Allie, I am so sorry to interrupt you here, but this is future Coco, and I just wanted to let everybody know we decided to make the Aussie contingent of the Books to Gang its own episode, and so instead of hack it all to pieces, it's all brilliant. So 
We will be releasing that in the next few weeks, and you can look forward to that. And so if you hear in a few minutes us chatting about the Aussie Books to Gang insert, just know you've already heard what Future Coco has to say, and you know the real deal. All right, now we are going to go back to Kelly, and she is going to tell us about what all of the categories are. Bye-bye. So I'll go down the categories and then I'll let Allie take over for a moment and talk about our special guests. And then maybe we'll just uh, let them have their, their moment. But we have eight categories this year. We have always had six standby categories. And last year we had two special categories that we just had a few books in. This year, things have kind of changed. We have eight solid categories with 10 winners each. There are 80 picture books here. There is something for everyone. Best board books, future classics, best read aloud, best illustration. And we have updated our biography category to be best history books because we found that biography wasn't kind of encapsulating a lot of different uh, books that have a, a lot more complexity to them. So we have best history books, most innovative nonfiction, and then returning, we have best foodie books, but as a full category this year. And our final and very exciting new category is conversation starters. So we're going to talk about those in that same order. So we'll end off the episode talking about our conversation starters because we're, I think we're all pretty excited about that category. Definitely. And I just wanted to say one thing about how the categories have changed. When people or when publishers submit to this, we know what the first five categories are going to be more or less. But as we get the books, we get a really good picture of the trends for the year and they tend to to, to evolve as trends do and you get different things. And so we are responsive to what is coming out, what's popular, what's exciting. And that's why we make changes like last year, it was best biography book. And this year it's best history book because I feel like last year we had a lot of focus on really exciting new biographies. And there wasn't so much history in the way that we're seeing this year with multiple stories being told in one book. Whereas this year, it's really, it's evolving towards um, history in, in that sense, rather than just the straight forward uh, biography of one life. So it's really interesting for us to see trends evolving. Thank you for laying it out. It is super interesting to see how things evolve and change and also, I guess, unintentional trends. And I think some of them are both intentional and unintentional. And I think that the evolution that has brought us this conversation started category, I think that's evolved out of a lot of events over the last uh, two years and, um, and a change in consciousness and a change to how we think about children's education and in general consciousness in society. So let's start things off by uh, introducing our special guests. The three of us and the, the judges of the year in North America do the North American awards, but we have a satellite judging team in Australia. They get together and they do the same thing, but with Australian books. And we've invited them on again to give us a little look at what is happening in Australian kidlet. 
Well, that was such a lovely explanation of the Australian book list. So I think we should get right into board books. This is one of my personal favorite categories, board books. And I think maybe it's because I still have a three-year-old at home. And so board books are still a hot commodity in our household and something that we're using on a daily basis and in different ways and different spaces. And so while we're judging the best board book category, we're looking for a board book that not only holds up durability wise, because that is really important for a board book Mm -hmm. because the people who read them tend to rip them up and throw them at you. The books that we are looking for with this category are well-made, they're durable, but also they have something interesting happening. And that can be in a lot of different ways. That can be with interactive elements like lift the lift the flap, pull the tab sort of thing. It can be in the format or it could just be in the actual content of the book, especially if there's a, an element of diversity happening. We really love that. My own favorite this year from this category is by an illustrator slash author who won last year in illustration category. And I deeply love you, Tom Shamp. Where is everyone by Tom Shamp from Prestel? Um, I just get happy when I say his name. I've never met him. And does he know he holds, I hold, he holds my heart. Um, Yeah. So this beautiful board book is also available in Spanish, which is important to note. It's an odd book, which I love. It's sort of the lift the flap book where you see regular household items in different areas of the house, like a refrigerator. And then you open the refrigerator and it's not a refrigerator. It's like a weird animal stuffed into the shape of a refrigerator. It's... It's fantastic. <laughs> I love it so much. And my younger, my younger daughter, the three-year-old, doesn't let anybody else pull those flaps but her because that is her book. You know, we actually had we had a good list with a lot of very interactive books this year. And and you know, I'll just quickly rhyme them off. But go go Apple, my first recycling book. What's her breakfast? Um, um, where do you poop and fire truck tales all have interactive elements to them. In fact, tri- fire truck mm-hmm. tales is literally a rolling vehicle that has three books inside of it. Um, but my personal favorite board book, I kind of have a tie, but my personal favorite is probably hmm, bedtime, not playtime, uh, by Lawrence Jimmel. So, and the reason I love that book so much is because it has, incidental representation of an LGBTQIA family. Um, and there's a, there's two in the series, only one actually made the list, unfortunately, but, um, you know, one of them has two dads, the other one has two moms in the story, but it's, it's not at all about that. It's about mischief and fun. And it's just a cute, adorable story where there happens to be two dads. And I just love that. That book is super cute. Oh, okay. I also have a tie. I do like the baby Young, Gifted, and Black by Andrea Pippins. It also has a really cute mirror in the back uh, mm-hmm. where the baby can look at themselves. And But I think my ultimate favorite is Together. Really? I know. <laughs> I know you're all shocked. <laughs> Everyone's surprised <laughs> that I like this one. <sighs> it's just so good. I love it too. The art is so beautiful. Like, Inosanta Nagara, please, please just be my friend. Teach me your ways. 
it's it's a gorgeous book and i think it also is a bit genre defying um defying i should say uh, because it truly is a book that can be read to older children as well. And I think that we sometimes discount the value of board books as being only for babies, but they're actually, they're great in settings where children might be rough on books, even older. And um, they're great if you need books that you need to be able to wipe down and sanitize. And they're amazing for emerging readers for being able to turn pages easily, fine motor issues, anything like that. But board books are for everyone. So I love books like this that you can read to a baby and then older children can also get complexities out of it as well. That's true. Much like, where do you poop? (laughs) (laughs) The whole family loves this one for us. (laughs) Not necessarily because it's more complex, but much there like, is a fascination you know. <laughs> with scatological humor so <laughs> we have a just a uniform fascination with that yes uh, my husband loves this one <laughs> <laughs> okay okay we could talk about board books all day but i think we should move on to what has turned out to be basically all hits for me all of my favorite books of the year in this category and it's future classics This is always your category, though. I think it kind of is. Yeah, it's just the kind of book that ends up being a future classic is your bag. It's my bag. It's totally my thing. (laughs) And this year in particular, if I haven't already, I will be posting every single one of these books with detailed reviews. (laughs) But I have actually posted most of them. Yeah. So I'm going to kick it off because... My number one favorite book of the year, which I am normally never able to actually pinpoint what that book is, but my number one favorite book of the year is Granddad's Camper by Harry what? Woodgate. What? I know, That's exactly. Weird. I didn't that know that. Curveball. <laughs> Such a surprise. Um, I may have said this about six or 700 times already on Possibly. the internet, so nobody's surprised, but Harry Woodgate, they've just they they've created something so beautiful it's it's such a touching story it's so sublimely illustrated the book just mirrors my life in such a an eerie wonderful way that it's just like they went inside my head and like pulled my story out I bawled my eyes out the first time I read this story and I still bawl my eyes out just about every time I read it since so um my love for this story is just transcends the universe so I was delighted when it was undoubtedly a list topping highly highly loved book amongst the judges so one of Harry Woodgate's aims with this particular book was about addressing the elder generation of queer people who are so instrumental in the lives that we leave now but grew up with a gay dad and now my child has a gay grandfather so there's just so much that means so much to me because it's just not a topic that's addressed very much and certainly not in such a wonderful way that doesn't challenge who they are as people the story is about beautiful intergenerational love and you know what I think that that is so key in what we're looking for in the future classics category. All of the books that we pick for this category tend to be about love and relationships and friendship, especially family relationships and intergenerational 
love or self-affirming love. We're really just all about the love in this category. I really could have named it just love, but uh, <laughs> there's a familiar um, there's still tie a, to everyone. Yeah. Like in 48 grasshopper estates, which I think is, I mean, it's hard to say. I like, they're all wonderful books, but um, River really likes this one because it's about a little girl who is living in an apartment building that's very like community oriented with a lot of seniors living there and she's mm-hmm. cared for by possibly a neighbor or something a, um an elderly woman and she this the girl in the story um loves to create stuff just like finds random recyclable objects and and makes friends and she makes connections with all of these elderly people in her building. I agree. It's like found family. It, there's so much family in community. Mm-hmm. And this book very beautifully demonstrates how you sometimes don't even realize it's happening. Coco, what was your favorite book? Magic Like That is beautiful. I love Geneva Bowers's artwork. Um, she also did Curls and Glow that came out this year that were board books. Oh, beautiful. But- so good. I feel like maybe the standout for me was the spectacular suit. Yeah. Um, just mm. such a delightful story. I love the main character. I love the main character's siblings and how they just want her, Frankie, to have a delightful birthday. And so they do a bunch of special things that they know that she likes. It's just so sweet. And I love it. And you know what? Frankie just wants to look dapper and... Mm. I can Frankie relate to that. Frankie wants to look super dapper. And, I, you know, there was a lot of subtle things in this book that really struck me. Like she has an older brother and an older sister, but it's her older brother who makes her a beautiful cake and arranges flowers for her. Like there's just like little wee tiny sort of gender stereotype smashing moments that like aren't notable. And I, I, I kind of love that subtlety. Um, and that color palette is so beautiful. The illustrations. It is gorgeous. That it honestly, if it wasn't winning here, it was going to win an, illust- an illustration because this book is just stunning. And I love pretty much whatever Scribble Kids sends us is always beautiful. Scribble does amazing things. And they're one of those people that we've really developed a wonderful relationship with through doing this list over, over the years now couple of other notable ones, one of our other top winners, uh, two of our other top winners for the year overall, Isaac Kiss in the Corners by Joanna Ho, which mm-hmm. has made every single best of the year list that there is. And I can't say enough incredible things about it. And I'm so excited for the uh, companion book to that coming out in the new year. And then the second companion book coming out to that the year after. So um, I, it is outstanding. And Joanna Ho is a machine and I just she's killing it I and everything's better than the next so and uh and we also need to highlight our actual books to gang friend Michelle Sterling and when Lola visits which is a stunningly gorgeous book it is a stunningly gorgeous book and really it could have also won in the food category this one because there's some Beautiful it could have won in every story. category. It it's could have won in any category. Beautiful. I mean, one <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a lovely intergenerational story as well. Again, feature classics um, about a little girl visiting her grandmother who she calls Lola and what they do together. And just like very uh, visceral, like the sensory experiences. Huge sensory experience. Um, yeah. Of, of her, her own memories. And it really it pulls you in and it gets you thinking about 
how you remember seasons and the memories that you have. So we have to move on to what I know is Ali's actual favorite category. Best <laughs> read aloud. This is, this is my big category and I could not be happier. Everyone is like settling themselves in their seat because I'm about to go on a rant. And my rant is that what happened to you is the number one scoring winner of the whole year. Just takes home all of the cake. It got 9.87 average. This isn't just me yelling about it on the internet. Although I will, I will yell about it on the <laughs> internet until kingdom come. I will yell about it on the internet because it is the best book, but 15 judges all scoring with numbers. And it was number one of all of the books. Whew. And I do have to commend Alice. She was not up in the group chat for the last four months telling everybody that they had to score it well genuinely not. she actually kept her mouth shut <laughs> i kept my mouth she shut did because lucy cashpole would not have appreciated that from me and she is a queen also i love you lucy cashpole i will give a quick rundown of what happened to you uh oh. well well ally catches her breath but what happened to you is is the let's let's say the the counter narrative to books like just ask um it's written by james ketchpole who is a one-legged man let's let's be clear he is actually disabled and he is writing a story about a child with one leg who is tired of being pestered but what i actually think is quite remarkable about what happened to you is even though that's what the story is truly about my kid calls it the pirate book it's so mm -hmm. fun to read Mm -hmm. and yeah. uh and that's what's lacking in a lot of books like just ask on top of the problematic narrative they're not yeah. really that fun to read um so there's a really entertaining story about interpersonal relationships between kids and just wanting to play pirate um and it's a great book that is own voiced and i just love it and i i have also yelled about it <laughs> so much on the internet over the past uh over a year and uh but since it came out it's just stunned me every time and every time somebody sent me a message and said that they've picked it up on my recommendation and it blew them away I'm just thrilled every single time I am also thrilled every time somebody tags me in a review of what happened to you I love that people do that, by the way. Please continue <laughs> to do that. You're the ambassador. <laughs> I, I just, I feel so strongly about this book, even aside from the fact that I just love James and Lucy and we're personally have become friends. It's, it's funny, number one, which I, I need a book to be funny or I, I have a hard time relating to it. Um, it's, the palette is wonderful. It's engaging and it is a really important message on top of all of that. And it's something that I had never thought of before, which is on me, I guess. And also that we live in an ableist world. But the fact is it introduces these concepts that most adults in their life have not even really come across themselves. And it explains it in this really gentle, but firm way that mm -hmm. I think everyone walks away from it, whether it's a child or an adult, saying, oh, wow, I never thought of how a disabled child feels about the way they're being talked to. And I think it's just a masterpiece and you should probably buy it for everybody you know. I'm going to let Coco pick her favorite book from this. And I feel like I can guess, but 
you know, um, yes, you can. And I, (laughs) yes, listen, I know I'm predictable and that's fine. We agree Uh, on this one. We do agree on this one. Mr. Watson's chickens, obviously the best read aloud. Not only is it queer representation, not only is it crucial chicken representation in this world. (laughs) The underrepresented characters. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's entirely facetious. Um, and, but it has, the dialogue is so funny. There are so many good queer Easter eggs in the illustrations. It's just mm-hmm. utterly delightful. And, oh, it's just so good. So, so good. And the author, the author is a musician, I believe, um, which I think really lends itself to the lyrical nature of it as a read aloud and the fact that the chickens actually like play in a band. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. At some point, there's over 400 chickens in, in Mr. Watson and Mr. Nelson's house. 456. There you go. See, that's a very important number. Um, And, and, you know, the cross section of the entire house is like something out of a Where's Waldo book, but with queer Easter eggs hidden all over the place. Actually, one thing that I keep forgetting to talk about whenever I talk about this book, there's no children in this book, which is bizarre. You're You're so right. There aren't. Also, what's queer Easter eggs? Oh my gosh. There, there are so many. So the um, illustrator, if you go look on their, um, their Instagram lists uh-huh. a whole bunch of the different mm-hmm. hidden details that are like built into the scenes in the house references. So as an adult looking at this, there's like a bazillion references built into all of the illustrations. They're incredibly detailed. They're so They're good. Blowing Allie's <laughs> mind right in I front of her eyes my right kids. now. And I read it to my kids and I didn't, I, I now I'm struggling. I mean, I did, am I not an observant? We're going to link it in the show notes for everyone <laughs> and for Ale. And, uh, but uh, no, it, it's, it's actually very strange to see a children's picture book that doesn't include any um, characters that are children. The chickens are kind of the children, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually kind of wild. They sing. They're in like a doo-wop band. Yeah. Ale is losing it. We've completely blown her mind. (laughs) I literally, I just featured this book. I love the book. I, although for me, it's the illustrations with this one. I just like, you know, I love it has a retro vibe, but also like, it's a really interesting, like, if you notice the background texture is really flat and then the Mm -hmm. contour lines of the chickens are just really evocative. So Mm -hmm. like the chickens will like, have an angle and it'll look like a finger and it and it just like gives it this weird sort of quirky personality that's really infused and it really makes me feel like nobody but Andrea Tsurumi could have done this in this way and I have to talk and- about my other favorite book because I'm trying to keep us on track or this is going to be a seven hour episode <laughs> <laughs> my favorite read aloud uh I have two I have two favorites that have not been mentioned because the first two are also my favorites, but Gideon Kvetch is the one that I've got to talk about. Um, the author, Carolyn Pritchard, is an actual ray of sunshine. Um, she lovely. is the most lovely human being That's ever. Um, but the book itself, is so fun to read out loud. 
It's um, Jewish representation that is joyful, that is not about holidays, that is, uh, it has all of these wonderful Yiddish words built into it. It's not about food either. It's also not about a food because that is the other theme in most Jewish children's books. They are about (laughs) food and food is one of my favorite topics. I'm not shirking anything, but (laughs) we need other stories as well. Um, And, you know, it's a tale about, um, a girl named Giddy with some very iconic purple overalls and, uh, and a bird named Kvetch who's a little more gloomy and they have this wonderful interplay between the two of them. Um, it's just, it feels good in your mouth to read the Yiddish. I love Yiddish. <laughs> Yiddish words. This is me growing up with a very Jewish family, even though I am not Jewish myself. Um, and um, I just, I, I, I have told people about this book that weren't asking about picture books. <laughs> <laughs> I do that a lot too. Yeah. Well, with what happened to you, obviously. Oh yes. man, <laughs> telling people about picture books that did not ask is just basically my tagline at yes. this point. That could be my new Instagram bio. Absolutely. <laughs> and I'm going to toss in a mention, Everybody in the Red Brick Building by Ann Winter, which is one of our new favorite bedtime books. And I love that it's about an apartment building. I love that it's a baby that kind of wakes everyone up, but it's filled with so many of these uh, onomatopoeia words. You know, I think all four of those, the books that we've talked about so far in this category, they really just, they embody what it means to be a great read aloud. They're fun to read. They have good rhythm. They have joyful stories. Everything that's in that cat, this category really more than any other year, in my opinion, uh, represents what it means to be a really solid read aloud. I totally agree. And this, I just look at this whole list and it's so hard to just talk about a few of them because all of them are excellent and all of them are worth going out and buying. And all of them are books that kids are going to ask to read again and again, and that you're going to enjoy reading too, you know? And so best read aloud category, good job, writers slash good job, writers. Good job, everybody. (laughs) Great job books to gang on choosing this year. Like we really... (laughs) You know, these were all the books that our judging group were like, they were really a buzz about them. So let's move on to the next category, best illustration. So for best illustration, surprise, surprise, you have to have really good illustrations. <laughs> Thank you. Well done. Thank well, you for the questions. Stunning. <laughs> Stunning description. <laughs> well, it's not just that. We're looking for exciting illustrations, not just, oh yeah, that's pretty. We're looking for stuff that you would like hang in a gallery and be like, oh yes, this belongs here. Stuff that's doing exciting work with different mediums, different different ways of representation. I think we're really looking for books where the illustrations carry the story yes, in yeah. a very big way, which would be why the two, the only two wordless books on this list and maybe the only two wordless books that have possibly ever made our, our best of the year list are both in this category. <laughs> I, I, uh, some people may know I do not care for the wordless <laughs> category. It's not my favorite, but I actually really like Over the Shop. 
I have to admit, I enjoyed it. It was kind of like watching a Ghibli film. The whole idea of like someone goes into this dirty, but really cool looking building and then they make it beautiful. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm into this. Say wordless picture books. We have many discussions about this are like cilantro that you either yeah. love them or you hate it. Mm-hmm. I am not the biggest fan. Some are fine, but... We really got to be in the the right mood, but Over the Shop is definitely one that really, really um, stuck out to me. It's one of the few wordless books that drew me in immediately. I think it's hard for me to choose, but I really love My City Speaks. And Ashley Barron actually has two books on the list. And My City Speaks is a follow-up to My Ocean is Blue. They all have incidental disability representation built into the story. Yeah. yeah, it's a series. And the first one is actually called My Forest is Green. And I believe that one actually does not have disability representation. It is more incidental um, representation of an AAPI family. And oh. My Ocean Speaks um, is a child with um, a physical disability. And then My City Speaks is uh, a child who is blind. So yeah. they are navigating the city. and of Toronto. Of Toronto, yes, I do love all of the Toronto landmarks in this book. It really warms my heart. Okay, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you my top four, but then I'm gonna only elaborate on one of them. Bright Star, because Yuyi Morales is just absurdly talented. Absurd. Uh, Jaguars and butterflies, so stunningly beautiful. We all play like Julie Flett. I would die for you. Me too. <laughs> We yeah. really need Julie Flett themed household items. I would buy them personally. Sheets, wallpaper, prints, all of them. everything. Everything. All yeah. of it. Bring them. Um, I would buy everything. But then Dream Street, I also is so beautiful too because I love Equa Holmes. Her artwork is beautiful, and also it's based in a place I used to live. It's based oh. on. Yeah, a neighborhood in Boston called Roxbury. Lee and I lived there for two years and we very much enjoyed it. We loved living in Roxbury. And so that's always like, you know, nice to have a book about a place that you recognize. Uh, yeah, we've, we've got it with My City Speaks and you've got it with Dream Street. So mm-hmm. that's that's our special thing in the best illustration category this year. I have to elaborate on one that you mentioned, which is Jaguars and Butterflies. Very enamored with this book. Um, and I know that when... We all first read it. Allie um, definitely expressed how beautiful and validating <clears throat> it felt to her, which which means so much to me to hear that. But it is a really interesting book in that it is um, it's written by Kathleen Ressler. It is a poem, a love letter to her daughters who are indigenous Mexican children, and she she has created a book that has employed numerous um, Indigenous Mexican women, and it is a book that she is working very, very hard to translate into multiple um, languages that are at risk of dying out in Mexico. So it is currently available for purchase in both um, English and Spanish, but she is using the proceeds from those two editions to help fund the uh, other translations so that she can then provide the books for free into her more local community. So I just love the book. The illustrations are 
out of this world gorgeous. And the illustrator, I think she's done campaigns for Disney. She's done amazing things outside of this, but this is her first book. So um, of an incredibly beautiful color palette, very graphic style. I just adore it. You really sold that. That was an excellent summary. What I really love about the Jaguars and Butterflies illustration is how it really blends traditional elements of Mexican art and design and with um, Ellie Ellie's own personal style and also with sort of the clean look of today. So it really feels like it's part of this grand tradition but also something that's modern and involving. And I just think that it really belongs on this best illustration category because it does so many things and it's within the context of this wonderful, beautiful picture book. And I just love it. All right, folks, I hope you're ready for my favorite category, which (laughs) if you've been playing along the drinking game, when one of us is, it's our favorite category. Good luck, friends. Good luck for the end of this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a giant nerd. This is well established. So (laughs) I think all of us are guilty of that, but this is where you're the most. We have a whole podcast about picture books. Like, come on guys. (laughs) Our whole lives. I have 500 picture books in this room in boxes on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. So I think, I think my number one All right. All right. It's a tie for two. All right. My top two tie are the ABCs of Black History and We Are Still Here. Okay. Not only is the ABCs of Black History beautiful, it is so beautiful. It has a surprise under the book jacket. It goes, it's, it is an ABC book, but it's like not really an ABC book and it connects like Black history and culture, events and history in the United States. And We Are Still Here also does that, but the book is framed as like a school presentation for Indigenous Peoples Day. And so it talks a lot about legislation that impacted Native Americans and also about protest and activism in in different Indigenous communities. And it's just so brilliant. So good. Yeah, the vehicle that they kind of use to tell the story there, like it's broken up into different parts. So they're kind of their whole own separate stories, which is nice because you can kind of condense it depending on the audience or break it up into different lessons if you're an educator. Um, But because they're using this sort of format that it's kids at, you know, an indigenous school talking about their own history within the context of colonizers and how they've persisted and brings context for little people like that it might be really hard with them to connect with something so big right so I that book really impressed me my personal favorite is two grooms on a cake though um my favorite too yeah I knew it would be your favorite too or the cake you know it's I'm I'm an easy mark the, the aesthetic is just gorgeous. It's over the top gorgeous. It's and over the top beautiful. It, and it's a it's such a wonderful way to tell uh, a story because it is about it's about the two the first two men who were legally married to each other in the United States through an incredibly clever loophole. The mode of storytelling of like actually baking a cake to kind of move the narrative of this story along of their relationship. 
Um, and they're, you know, they're real life guys that are still married today. And, and they were married over 40 years ago, although it took until gay marriage was legalized in all of the U S before it was registered with their particular County. So, but, uh, it's a beautiful story. It's beautifully told in a really unique way. And the illustrations are out of this world. So I just love it. I have nothing more to add to that. I loved it, but for much shallower reasons. <laughs> also love Two Grooms on a Cake. That one is also very good. They're all very good. They're all wonderful books. Um, I think this is our best group that we've ever had for this category. And I love the change that we've made from best biography books to best history books, because I think it gives us a much more inclusive picture of the depth of history that you can get from picture books. Um, and yeah, great inclusions this year. Let's go on to my other favorite category. Yes. Most innovative nonfiction. Yeah. Because listen, I have always been this person. I was this person when I was two feet tall. I am this person at a whopping five feet, five inches tall. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my five-year-old, uh, exactly like you, Coco. And uh, this is definitely one of our favorite categories at home. Uh, we love our, our nonfiction, um, science-y, nature-y, especially books. So from the get-go this year, one of our favorite books was Busy Spring, which is the follow-up to Winter Sleep. So it's by Sean Taylor and Alex Morris. And it's, it's more of a narrative um, nonfiction book, but it has tons of detail about the garden sort of sprouting up in spring, waking up after the winter. It's so beautiful, the whole book, but it's also one that it's, it's a nonfiction book that you can still read at bedtime. It's not just a thousand tiny speech bubbles. Totally. And I think that one of the things about this category, the most innovative nonfiction category, is that you'll notice that we choose books that tend to be a little bit unusual like that. There's narrative nonfiction, there's pop-outs. One of the great things about this category is that I am not a nonfiction person, and my kids aren't really nonfiction people either so far. I mean, there's room to grow into it, I guess. And um, this when we choose for this category, we're really going for nonfiction books that are unusual, that are innovative, that have a narrative element in some cases or do really interesting things um, with the mechanics of the book. So like pop out or the size of a book um, that have really gorgeous illustrations that you wouldn't necessarily expect to see in a nonfiction book because there are so many nonfiction books that come out every year. A lot of them tend to do kind of the same thing. Like, oh, we're going to put out a book about penguins. And then it's just like a pamphlet about penguins. And there's not a lot happening there. I mean, it might be a good book about penguins. You might learn a lot of stuff about penguins, but it's not innovative. And so what we're looking for with this category, the winners of this category, they're not just, oh yes, I learned something. It has to be, this is a beautiful book that is nonfiction, but it's trying new things and it's exciting. And it's really, it's drawing people in, not just people who love to sit down and read facts. And so for me, my favorite one this year was Chickenology. And I almost bought real chickens because of this book. Like I got really, really close. <laughs> and we were like looking up where we could like buy a coop and then 
like the like zoning regulations. Anyways, I didn't end up getting chickens, which is probably for the best, but this book had me inspired to buy chickens. Just the best. It's really everything you want to know about chickens, but it's not in like a, just a text format. It's like this gorgeous aesthetic, like visual exploration on everything you might want to know about a chicken. And the like from from the palette to just the the whole style it is it is a joy to explore and i love it i they also have a there's another one out this year pigology which pigology just a delight very good such a delight and i hope cowology comes out next year they have not announced anything but i would i would die for a cowology you know what (laughs) I really am hoping that Emma Giuliani, Giuliani does something with them next year. So last year they did In the Garden with her PA Press. PA Press is is on our not best or most innovative nonfiction for a second year in a row because they just they do really interesting stuff with nonfiction. And it's always a delight to see what they come up with. Last year they had like lift the flaps. And I, I can't wait until next year and what they're gonna bring us. Very visually driven. Very. Um beautiful books that you know every page could be framed in every book no matter what the subject is including chickens absolutely and chickens belong on the wall and you know what yeah even the dignity of the way they're illustrating this chicken like if you go go look at this cover it has this beautiful portrait of a chicken like and it's just this really proud dignified looking chicken and i i have to say not just anybody can do that it's a skill and it's yeah. innovative <laughs> innovative as heck it's true and also i don't know if it has something to do with the personality of the chicken it's a bard rock chicken uh that's on the front i also have a bard rock and she is the proudest and the nosiest we call nosiest. her the forehen because She's all up in your business, judging you, <laughs> watching you do everything. Anyway, that was She's a got uh, business. <laughs> the forehand has business to attend to and you're not Absolutely. doing it correctly. Yes. <laughs> I will say, you know, we're talking about innovative nonfiction and fun to read and all those things, but the world's most pointless animals, which came out from Cordo um, this year is so funny to read. We have read it cover to cover multiple times, which a lot of these really, really, really text heavy books, like we read them, trust me, we read them, but, um, but we don't often sit in one sitting and read an incredibly hefty book cover to cover and just laugh the entire time. And it's, it's a book built on sarcasm, but you end up learning things about animals, like against your will. It's so funny. And it's filled with hilarious, weird animals. And I just, I can't say enough good things about it. And, you know, it's a book that I could see a lot of kids that are into STEM, but they're sort of a reluctant reader. They can get really, really into a book like that. So um, definitely um, one to check out. And if we go past this category, and I think Coco can talk about it without talking about the weather pop-up book, then I'm canceling the podcast. I love the weather pop-up books so much. And through all of your uh, delightful chatterings of your favorite innovative nonfiction, I'm sorry, it's my brain is melting. Um, (laughs) I was like, okay, Corey, you can do it. You can narrow it down to one. I was like, well, maybe I'll just mention five. Uh, (laughs) 
weather pop-up book. Absolutely incredible. I love that it, you can see the illustrations like 360 degrees. Um, It's not like one side of the cardboard is like white. You like it's, it's very immersive. It pops up over and under the canyon. Obviously, we know I love Christopher Silas oh, Neal. Everybody loves um, Christopher Silas Neal. Another one, just like Julie Flett. Just, I would well, buy he's all also the just things. a lovely man. <laughs> I just, I also just don't understand how that series just keeps getting better. Like I, the first one I ever read was Over and Under the Snow from the library. And then I bought Over and Under the Pond, uh, which I adore. And we read all the time. But I every also bought that book, one with money. Yes, which means a lot for me. It, it does. I I have I have purchased those books with money, and uh, and and over and under the canyon is absolutely another one, absolutely worth the money, so every good. single penny. It's so good. It's gorgeous, and it's another one that it's it's a narrative nonfiction. It has a human element. They change the characters and have diverse representation through each iteration of the book, um, or of the series of books. Um, it's gorgeous. So good. Also, my book of butterflies. I oh. love that you open it. Like butterflies are so small, but this book is gigantic, and the butterflies are impeccably detailed, like the size of dinner plates. It's mm-hmm. amazing. The colors are so bright, and beetles for breakfast also delightful. They're just all delightful. They are delightful. So great. Every single book in this category yeah. is a winner. Every single one Ally actually said she liked and is so not her favorite category. I am so. keeping them. I am keeping all of these <laughs> books. I don't actually keep a lot of nonfiction because we get so many books. We don't keep the ones that like we really want to yeah. like have. Forever. We donate in our community and yeah. and, and all sorts of stuff. And I mean children and yeah, we conclude this, you know, right before the holidays. So it's a great time for us to pass along to all kinds of people um and uh and organizations. So, you know, that that's wonderful, but I think it also says a lot when we're like, no, I'm keeping every single one of these because I need them. <laughs> <laughs> I need them. They're important for me. <laughs> for me. I need to have them on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and we, we do have to move on though to Allie's yes. second favorite category. Or is it my third? third I love board favorite? books. <laughs> Allie loves all the categories. No, <laughs> no, not all the categories. My three categories <laughs> are read aloud, board books, and food. And yes. sometimes all three are in one. In I was going to say, then- <laughs> you really, you really prefer when it's all together in one book. Yeah. If it's a um, great read aloud board book that has food in it I'm just I'm there I'm sold (laughs) no you're you're buying 15 copies and passing it out in the corner and yelling its name over and over again when that happens (laughs) all right best foodie book so with this one okay we're really looking for illustrations of food are really important in this it has to be a food illustration in this book that makes you want to just stare at it and also maybe like salivate a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> like you you yep. and part of this comes from I think a lot of us who really love picture books and had experiences really powerful experiences with picture books as children and adults there's something about illustrated food in in some of these books that sticks with you and you think in your mind of that one book with the food that you always wanted to try and it like bing something in your head and these are the books that win this category with this beautiful celebration of food oh 
such a good category. All right. <laughs> My favorite this year in this, oh, it's a toss up. I really love, <laughs> okay, just three. My three, fa- wait, four. No, okay, three, three. Seven the whole favorites. World- <laughs> Who are you, me? <laughs> I love, so the whole world inside Nan's soup is, the, is from Yehoo Press and the illustrator for this one is Vicky Shang. And the style in this one is really unexpected and it plays a lot with like reality and fantasy and there's all this food everywhere and there's soup and the steam and oh it's wonderful the other one uh, the other two that i just i just love 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 are chaiwala which is another one by ashley baron yes um she's great and this one is about a girl and her mom who've gone on a train journey india and they stop and there's this tea cart and it's like this the smells and and uh, like the preparation of the the chaiwala tea it's it's just it's wonderful and inviting and all right my third favorite one on this list is probably taste of the lunar new year and they have that um also the board book series that won last Uh, year big cities little foodies yeah yes basically it's just all about beautiful delicious um asian food and Uh, it's just the illustrations are impeccable the quality is impeccable just makes me want to go out and get some dim sum (laughs) i'm always in the mood for dim sum never not in the mood 100 (laughs) i i love every book in this category and you know i i will say that without a doubt, two of our most asked for books this year have been Halal Hot Dogs and a newer one to us, but just as loved is uh, Kalamata's Kitchen. And both of those are ones that my little one has asked to read over and over and over again. Uh, it is no surprise uh, with Halal Hot Dogs that that is also a favorite food for my five-year-old. I don't know how that happened. I'm going to be honest, but uh, but it is. So the, the exuberant in this book the the how fun it is to read out loud uh the joyfulness um the the small amount of absurdity um it, it's it's so fun to read loud and it's also just joyful uh representation of a muslim family who who is practicing their faith in this and is joyfully living their life and and he just wants a dang good hot dog i really so, identify yeah, exactly. Um, good hot dog. Yeah. And Chaiwala, another one, it is really, really fun to read out loud, but something, you know, on a, on a, on the note of the messages that I've gotten from people that have read it since I first shared it and said, Oh, I found out about this book from you. This is all of my memories from growing up in India. And I can't believe how beautiful this book is. And it's it's a joyful memory it it it, you you kind of said it like you tie memories sometimes to food that you eat at a time and the chai wallet is that for so many people and for us it was kind of a peek into another world but we keep going back to it over and over and over again because it's just so fun to read so and uh Calamata's kitchen it's kind of the same thing and actually I love the element that the spices kind of give her power in that story um I don't know I love every book in this category pizza with everything on it is 
nuts though. And I can't get enough of it. It's bonkers. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's bonkers, but it's could not be funnier. Also, the illustrator's name is Andy J. Pizza. I I was typing that out and I was like, wait, how did I miss that the illustrator's last name is Pizza? I just have a lot of questions. Fake name. (laughs) So many questions. I support it, but it has to be a fake name. It's like, why do you need a fake name to illustrate? So anyways, <laughs> the author, Kyle Sheely, hilarious on TikTok too. You, you have to follow Kyle Sheely on TikTok. You will never stop laughing. So no surprise that this book is hilarious. A pizza with everything on it is delightful. I love the illustrations too. Kids can bake. Excellent. Yeah. Um, Such beautiful. Such a beautiful. They're so intricate, but they're not overwhelming. The whole world inside Nan's soup is sort of like that Studio Ghibli effect where you just want everything because everything that you see in Studio Ghibli is like peak temperature, texture, shininess, Mm -hmm. deliciousness, like everything is so good. Um, I think Amara's Farm might be my fave. It's It's so so cute. It's so cute. cute. And it's kind of, it's like a little bit nonfiction-y, but it's definitely Mm -hmm. a narrative and it's definitely about food. And it kind of brings in this element of like where your food actually comes from and what it takes to be there. So cute. Amara is just on her little tractor trying to find a pumpkin for a potluck. Same, same girl. (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) I don't have a tractor. Have you been on a tractor? I... I don't have a tractor. I want to get this uh, woman a tractor. Yes. <laughs> Anyone from a tractor company listening. Spawn <laughs> Tiny activist tractor. If I had a tiny activist tractor. Oh boy. You mean the tiny tractorvist? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Hello, John Deere. Oh, please. Somebody sponsor me and get me a tractor. (laughs) Okay. So now we have to move on to, I think, the star of the show, which is our brand new category. Um, You know, we had some top, top winners this year, and we just, we didn't know how to fit them into our existing categories, but they're such important books. They are so beautifully done, so thoughtfully done. Um, and I, you know, I think this list for a lot of people could be a very well-rounded list to start, you know, a more conscious home library. And, uh, so this brand new category is called conversation starters. And I think every single one of these books can start. I just want to stop for a second and say that the geniusness of this category (laughs) Kelly came up with she just it just came to her in a in a vision I guess yeah. it came in the night we were really struggling though because you know there so you know I'm gonna read out the books on this list really quick we have not done that because there's 80 books um but so we've got the bare naked book Saturday at the food pantry when we say black lives matter hold that thought don't hug Doug hear my voice when I see red the Proudest Color, Zanya's Rainforest, and The Many Shapes of Clay, A Story of Healing. 
So we are touching on issues of consent. We are touching on issues of race. We are touching on multiple social emotional issues. We are talking about the environment. We are talking about human rights atrocities. We are talking about food insecurity. Um, and we're talking about bodies and, uh, you know, we're talking and the bare naked book has some incredible inclusions in it of visibly trans bodies and normalization of body parts and things like that. Hold that thought is not only about talking about fostering creativity and all kinds of things like that, but it also has a character that uses they, them pronouns, and it is not a central part of the story. It is just beautiful, incidental inclusion. Every one of these books has such an important message, and we didn't want to, we didn't want to other them because they didn't fit in a category. We needed to give them a place that gave them honor but I think also it it takes a little while to see the zeitgeist of of kidlit and this particular moment in time and really like we were talking about before being responsive to that with creating categories that make sense for what people are producing and what people want to read right now and I think more than any year before social emotional big topics and talking to kids openly about their world and about their bodies and about, you know, mental health, all of these things are really becoming more um, mainstream or at the forefront. And it's, it's showing up in Kidlet and it's sort of a new genre in a way that it, it hasn't existed before. And, and it's, it's not, you know, like a nineties pamphlet type, let's talk about this. (laughs) <laughs> These are, this is, you know what I mean? This is beautiful, thought through art yeah. that is meant to explore giant ideas. And I really think that this is what 2021 is bringing that is so completely different and new and exciting, you know, in so many ways. And, and it speaks to our society evolving. And I think that's really cool. On that same note, though, like of evolution, and that's one thing I really want to point out, the Bare Naked book was originally published like in the early 80s. And at the time, time. it was revolutionary and widely banned. Um, And, you know, I think the reception to this new version has been great, but Anik Press brought on multiple subject matter experts and uh, and consultants, trans uh, educators, um, and, and trans parents to come on and make sure that the language was thoughtful and that the illustrations were right. And they really got it right. I, I can't say enough good things about this as a first body book. We actually legitimately read it at bedtime and have conversations. Um, there's enough left unsaid in the pages of the book that you can fill in with conversation at the level that everyone in your family is um, comfortable with, but there's still enough said in both text and the pictures to really be affirming that everybody is okay. It's one of the only picture books this year that came out that actually has like beautiful, dimply, fat bums, just like mine. I love it. You know, I'm just sitting here looking at this and I'm thinking about change and evolution of Kidlet. And I'm also looking at this and realizing that I think it also, a lot of these books speak to a change in the way that we see children 
and the respect that we have for children as tiny people who are capable of complex thoughts, of Mm -hmm. making choices, of thinking something through critically and not just being told, of even the concept of children having consent over and control of their own body is not something that is, you know, was widely like, don't hug Doug. Don't hug Doug is so great. Don't hug Doug. You know, like until fairly recently, children have been expected to just sort of be dolls for, for adults. Like, you know, you have to give people hugs. You have to, you know, that kind of thing is now changing. And the idea that children should be able to say, no, this, I, I'm not comfortable with that. And being mm-hmm. able to treat children with the respect that they can make those decisions for themselves. And I think that this, these books, the books that you find in, in this list all treat children with a lot of respect and they don't patronize them. No. And I think actually the many shapes of clay is another incredible example of that. It is a, a gorgeous book, but it is filled with such a respect for a child dealing with grief in their own way and in their own time. Um, and it is not didactic or, or preachy. In fact, none of the books in this category I find to be that way, which has often been the case with similar books in the past. Mm-hmm. We're really reaching kind of a new a new world of enjoyable to read books that are important, that respect children as human beings, that give parents and caregivers and educators tools to expand conversations. And actually, I want Coco to talk about The Proudest Color for that reason. Oh, yeah, I have been planning what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although I relate to Doug on an elemental level because I also do not hug. Doug is an icon. Doug is an icon. There's like a very short list. Listen, I would hug you two. um, And that is not a phrase that I say lightly because I don't like to promise what I can't, what I can't keep up. Uh, (laughs) It's it's like single digit amounts of people that I will hug willingly. Um, So Anyway, that's this is what I pay my therapist for, not <laughs> you two. Uh, <laughs> Doug, it's an icon. I would die for Brie Galbraith. Um, when we say Black Lives Matter, gorgeous. Oh absolutely my gosh. effervescent, just yes. brilliant, powerful, poetic, gorgeous. I would frame any spread. Oh, beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful yeah. book. <sighs> The Proudest Color, also excellent. Um, I did a live with both of the authors. It's on my Instagram. Um, they are both in the mental health field and they developed this as a resource to develop positive identities in a time when the media doesn't always portray all identities in any sort of nice way. They've designed the book to really foster conversations in a positive way and Mm -hmm. remove shame from a lot of conversations, which I think is really important. Um, because I think as parents, especially, I think in our sort of 
elder millennial space, you know, our parents maybe had a lot of shame around some of these conversations Mm -hmm. and we're trying to move into a new era with our children that removes a lot of shame around difficult conversations. That's something I really appreciated about this book is, is I could tell how thoughtfully designed the story was to remove that element of shame and, and foster positive conversations. And Saturday at the food pantry is another book that I, I deeply feel um, does that in a really incredible way. And, you know, not everything, even though there are challenges in life, the entire narrative of a story doesn't have to be this didactic. Everything is wrong because X is happening, but I guess I'll overcome it. Like that doesn't really help move the narrative forward. Um, working on these narratives that remove shame and go, hey, everybody needs help sometimes. Sometimes I get things wrong, but we can talk about it and we can do better in the future. Like kids get it. They're smart. Full stop. Children are way smarter. Um, (laughs) I feel like though, okay, when I see red is like definitely a top five book of the entire year for me. I love it so much. It's beautiful, but also it's super empowering because people that are cultured female are not allowed to experience anger and we're always supposed to be like quote unquote good and be nice and nurturing and kind and this book is just all about being mad and like sitting with your feelings but then also recognizing that the feelings will pass and Mm -hmm. that you'll be better for experiencing the anger and that anger is incredibly powerful I just think that's a great message for everybody, but especially for people who are cultured female. The couple others we haven't really mentioned, but Hear My Voice is about um, family separation at the border and and specifically about children. Every single spread is um, illustrated by a different um, artist. Um, It is beautiful. It is powerful. Um, You need to be on the right um, frame of mind and be prepared to have a conversation with your children. It's not a fly-by-night book that you should just read and walk away from, but I can't recommend it highly enough. Also important to realize is that the text in this book is quotes from children who yes. are who were detained at the moment of taking their statements. There's obviously no follow-up info, but it's like it amplifies the voices of people who are directly experiencing the family separation and the unlawful detainment, which yeah. again, I could go so on for years, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I don't even, I don't even know how to speak about this book because just w- when you read it and you realize that this is happening in our world in, in the United States, which is a place where like, I don't know, I kind of grew up feeling like the United States is a developed nation and it's a democracy and blah, blah, blah. And then you read this about what's happening down there and it's just like continuing and it's just so unjust and horrific. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's mind blowing. And I did read this to my five-year-old and she was pretty horrified. Um, and it was a tough conversation for everybody, but it was also a really important one it's a tough conversation. There's no way for it not to be a tough conversation. It is a a horrifying and heartbreaking situation. We can't pretend it's not happening. So, and our children are going to find out about these things. And I think we can empower our kids when we give them knowledge. 
Um, that's how we raise and I'm borrowing your name, but that's how we raise tiny activists. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, and you know, a primary goal of mine is to raise a human who, who gives a crap. These are books that need to exist. Every book in this category for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm very proud of what, what we as a group voted as the best books and then how we have tried to give every book the best spotlight and um overall 80 books i think it's our best year's list yet yeah a lot lot. and you know what a lot of books that each of us liked a lot didn't make it onto this because all of the books that are on here had to score up higher because everybody scored it was all averaged out it's all done fair and square so it's kind of funny like this is this is the top that all 15 of us from our with our different perspectives and our different preferences have all decided all right this is our longest episode to date I already know it is so it crap yeah, yeah like an hour you know and what half. we can't help it and we haven't talked about every single book on this list so go check out the oh, show notes God. We will have all of the information in there. We're going to link information about Mr. Watson's chickens just for Ale. <laughs> We're all <laughs> over this. And, you know, we have some more episodes coming out for season two, which is going to extend into 2022 because we've only released a few episodes this year. It's been a busy year. Yep. Yeah, it's been, been quite a, very a year. Busy year. And if you made it all the way through this episode, we'll Thanks. tell you a secret now because we appreciate you. Um, my secret is, I don't know. I tooted on my dog. I, I don't think I did. It's just <laughs> and on the that note, I could think of. <laughs> you can find the Picture Books You Gang podcast on <laughs> Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please Bye-bye. check us out on Instagram at Picture Books You Gang. <laughs> And thank you for joining us for the longest episode of the Picture Books Again ever in history. We love you so much. Bye. Bye. <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs>